Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The nation's jobless rate ticks up just a notch. Manufacturing, how about this, up by 32,000 jobs. Today on the show, we check in with the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council and Labor Attorney Joyce Goldstein joins us. Welcome to the Monday, November 7th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Elise Martini. Elise is the business manager, financial secretary for the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council. Website, real simple, buildkc.org. A little background on Elise. She has worked in the construction industry for over 40 years. After graduating from a pre-apprenticeship program, she was accepted into the Kansas City Cement Masons Apprenticeship Program. That was back in 1980. She worked as a journey person on thousands of job sites, earned the admiration and respect of her coworkers for being a hard worker and a team player. She began utilizing her knowledge and skill in the trades and obtained the position of apprenticeship coordinator. That was in 93 and then business agent for the Cement Masons and Plasters Local 518. Elise is uh, on her sixth term as an officer in her local, serving as president for four and currently vice president. She also serves on the Health and Welfare Trust Fund and Pension Plans and is a delegate for the Tri-County Labor Council. In the spring of 2006... Elise was hired by the Builders Association as the Workforce Development Manager. And in that role, she assisted contractors and unions in recruiting the workforce for the industry. In 2012, she was encouraged to run for Business Manager Financial Secretary for the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council by both the Builders Association and several trade unions. And she was elected in July of 2012. And by the way, is the first woman to hold that position. That being said, she has actively recruited women and minorities during her entire career. And how about this? You know, you heard me talking last week about the Trade Women Build Nations conference, which was held in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, she got a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and she is the first person to ever Receive a award like that. How about that? Good stuff. Good stuff. Elise Martini, the uh, Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trade Council, represents construction in Kansas City and surrounding areas. And just a couple of the unions here that make it up include the boilermakers, bricklayers, cement masons, electrical workers, elevator constructors, floor layers, heat and frost, iron workers. Operating engineers, painters, pipe fitters, plasters, plumbers, roofers, sign painters, sheet metal workers, sprinkler fitters, and the Teamsters. 
So we'll get into all of this and obviously talk about recruiting and the business area in uh, middle America. See if the boom is happening there. Most likely it is. Joyce Goldstein will be joining us later in the show. Joyce, longtime uh, contributor, and she gives us a little perspective of labor law. JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com is her website. She's got uh, four decades of working with unions. And we have an interesting uh, story today, and it involves the Supreme Court of the state of Ohio. And uh, this, <laughs> this story goes back to the late 1980s. I'm I'm serious here. It's crazy. But the good news is the Supreme Court finally put an end to it. And it was it was divided. It was four to three. And it involved a state law that prohibits encouraging targeted picketing of public officials at their homes or private workplaces in connection with a labor dispute. That law which goes back a decades, has been ruled unconstitutional. See, when you're a public figure, you know, you got to take the heat sometimes. And uh, this involves uh, several unions, including um, the service employees, I believe the uh, electrical union, IUE. And um, Joyce worked on this that entire time. In fact, she, uh, she won... In the 8th District Court of Appeals back in 1998, but <laughs> it still wasn't over. So finally, in September, the Supreme Court of Ohio ended this whole scenario, and Joyce is going to talk about it. Boy, talk about a long time dealing with labor law. It's amazing. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, the U.S. employment rate ticked up just a little bit in October, 3.7%. It was uh, 3.6%. The uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics said there were 6.06 million people without a job. In October, which is up 306,000 from the month before. Jobless rates for major demographic groups, hardly any change. Private firms claim to add about 233,000 jobs. Governments added 28,000 jobs. Elise Gould is the senior analyst at the Economic Policy Institute, epi.org. Yeah, if you get an opportunity to go to that website, do check it out. There's a lot of really good statistics there and stories. Elise said as overall unemployment ticked up, Hispanic unemployment retreated from its historic low in September, actually rising to 4.2%. Elise went on to say data are volatile, but all groups ticked up last month. I hope that will reverse in coming months. Now here's the bright spot. Factories. Firms in manufacturing claim to have added 32,000 jobs in October to just shy of 13 million. The October gain was the latest in a series of factory job increases, totaling 456,000 new jobs in the last 12 months. The biggest October factory job gains were in computers and related products, up about 5,400 jobs. 
Fabricated metal products such as steel up 5,200. Cars and parts, 4,800. The jobless rate now for factory workers, 3.1%. Pretty low. That has prompted a comment from Scott Paul, who heads the Alliance for American Manufacturing, one of our sponsors on the show. And Scott said factory jobs continue to be a reliable engine of job growth, especially for workers who are not seeking a four-year degree. The investments made over the past year in infrastructure, clean energy, EVs, and semiconductors should continue to pay job dividends next year and beyond. But there are threats to this growth. An overzealous Fed, global headwinds, and unwelcome pressure to lower tariffs and made-in-America requirements. He added, Congress and the administration should stay focused and continue to build on the policy support that has laid a foundation for factory job growth. And I'll tell you, everything's up in the air because of what may or may not happen tomorrow. Getting back to these uh, numbers, though, construction firms claim to add 1,000 jobs the same month of uh, October. Job gains in building construction up uh, 5,600. That offset losses in other uh, industry sectors. And as usual, the biggest overall gains were in some of the lowest paying occupations. Healthcare, 52,600 jobs added. Accommodations, 19,900. Social assistance, 18,500. Yeah, you're talking somewhere between 10 and maybe 14 $15 an hour in a lot of those jobs. Interesting story out of New York involving Starbucks and actually Starbucks and Amazon. Workers at an Starbucks Amazon Go convenience store, this is near Times Square, filed a petition for a union election last week. And one worker told reporters that supporters are already feeling the heat from management receiving threats of write-ups and citations for coming to work in pro-union T-shirts. How about that? The location, which is on 8th Avenue in New York City, is staffed entirely by Starbucks workers, and it's a cafe that features a cashier-less Amazon Go convenience store, a concept that Amazon debuted back in 2018, promising a just-walk-out shopping experience free of checkout lines. However, the baristas at Starbucks say the arrangement makes it so that they're essentially working two different jobs for the price of one, running inventory and stocking shelves for the Amazon Go store while prepping drink orders and running the cash register at Starbucks. <laughs> Can you imagine that day? How confusing and how tiring that has to be? One worker says we're overworked and underpaid. This worker has to be identified only as you dot you. Why? Because this worker is in fear of retaliation. You dot you says we're doing multiple different jobs for the same amount of wages as any other Starbucks worker, and that's nonsense. So, the workers filed their petition with Starbucks Workers United, which has successfully organized nearly 
6,500 workers in 243 locations across the country since December of last year. Not even a full year. Seven others in New York City. Two jobs for the price of one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Elise Martini of the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment, good employment, I might add, ulagency.org for more information. Let's go to Kansas City right now and welcome our first guest on the show today. That would be Elise Martini. And Elise is the business manager, financial secretary for the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council. Website, real simple, buildkc.org, buildkc.org. I like those uh, short website to get right to the point. Elise Martini, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. How are we doing today in Kansas City? I am doing great, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate you asking me to, uh, to give you a little bit of my, my story. 
And I tell you, your story is quite incredible because uh, it's not too often that uh, women get involved in the trades. I know it's getting better. And you go back to a 1980, and congratulations are in order here because you got the first ever Lifetime Achievement Award at the Trades Women Build Nations Conference, which was in Las Vegas about a week and a half ago. And we're going to talk about that as well. But uh, first and foremost, let's go back to 1980 when you were accepted into the uh, Cement Masons Apprenticeship Program. Now that's yeah. that's another <laughs> that's another industry that not too many people choose to get into cement. So you're right, <laughs> Elise. Right. I have to ask more... you, how did that happen? Um, you're right. It's a little more difficult than probably if I had to do it all over again. I would still be OPCMIA, but um, you know, I graduated from high school and uh, like a lot of 18 year old kids do, wanting to get out of get away from home. So I went to a college around by me and didn't do too well. So came back, was going to go to a community college. And at the same time, I heard a radio ad for trying to recruit more minorities and females in the construction industry. Now, back in those days, 1980, our president was President Carter, and he believed our job sites should look like the communities they're being built in. So he was really big on affirmative action. So I am blessed that I applied for the Cement Masons Apprenticeship Program and got accepted into it. It was a pre-apprenticeship program for six weeks and and just worked my way up the ladder. And that was uh, Local 518. Are, are they still around today, 518? Oh, yeah, they are definitely still around. They're doing well. And uh, actually, we've grown the membership, and I'm still currently the vice president. I've served as an officer there for six different terms, but I've stepped down. Um, I've been president for four. I've stepped down as vice president to allow some other folks to move up. But, yes, they are still around and doing well. Good. Good to hear. So those early days, though, as a female, can you reflect back on that? Because that was a different time. I mean, that's 42 years ago. Different time in America. Jimmy Carter president. My gosh, we're really going back. This is before Reagan when things really changed. And it wasn't a good change for unions. But uh, can you go back to that time and and tell you how you – how you uh, worked on the job and how you navigated up the ladder too. That's, that's pretty, that's a story in itself. Go ahead. You know, you're right. Um, it was, it was, um, and there were like, um, I know you had, uh, Gina Walsh on a week ago or so, but yeah, she, she was a year before me, you know, there were a lot of women that were trying to get in the trades or we were trying to get more women in the trades back then, but mm-hmm. the men, it was a little bit different environment. Uh, folks, you know, men on the job, they, they really, you know, weren't you, I mean, they women were supposed to be barefoot and, you know, and in the kitchen at home. So you really had to strive on your work ethic and you were held, you almost had to be, you worked twice as hard to be half as good as some of the men in the trades back then. Um, but you worked your way up the ladder and I got to tell you, my union really helped me because I got involved. I went to union meetings every month and started meeting some other guys and started you know, looking to them as mentors because there weren't a lot of other women around to mentor me. Now, mm-hmm. for those back then, if the women were successful pioneers, then more women came on board. And I, we've had a really successful um, opportunities for women in the trades in Kansas City, and uh, and we've got a higher percentage here in Kansas City too than some of the other construction projects. That's good. You know, Gina, you mentioned Gina Walsh, and we were talking last week about uh, women in the trades and how difficult it is to keep them in the trades. One of the big issues is, uh, you know, maternity leave and child care. 
Did you have uh, did you have some issues with that when uh, when you started out on the trades? I did not, um, and and just because I. I focused on my career path and never while I was married for that time, that was one of the conversations, you know, if, if I'm going to have, if we're going to have, you know, kids together, then I need, I go to work early. I mean, finishing concrete, we start early, we work late and trying to evolve around those, um, you know, childcare issues and just being home. It just wasn't an opportunity for me. And mm-hmm. so it is, it's very difficult. And just in Kansas city alone, last this last year, we've lost two female apprentices just for that reason. Um, they yeah. became pregnant and there's not that, opp- there's nothing there. You know, you can't draw unemployment. There's nothing there to get through. And yeah. it's, it's tough. And a lot of the internationals are changing that. Well, at least it's good to hear that at least there's some attention. And I know national nab is very concerned about that. And they want to get, uh, women and minorities, people of color involved in the trades, because it is a pathway to the middle class. And with that being said, how's the, the economy in the uh, the Kansas area there? And, and touching on those areas where people are working, say, minimum wage jobs, and are you targeting them to, to show, hey, you know what, especially now, I don't know what the building situation is in Kansas City. I assume it's doing pretty well. But are you targeting those areas and saying, hey, you know what? There is a better life out there. What's the story on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've actually, uh, through North American Builders Trade Union, they have a community benefit plan where they're, you know, they have that curriculum where they teach individuals in a pre-apprenticeship. And we have that here in Kansas City because we have the work. We have a new Panasonic battery plant that's coming, supposed to break ground this month, and it's at least a $4 billion project, $4 billion, 7,000 tradesmen and women. We've got data centers coming in. It's an 11-year project. And so there's so much work out there that is quality. It's not just the $15 an hour, which we're lucky that in Kansas City that's about the minimum wage because of our mayor. But it's not a $15 an hour. It's 18 and 20 That you know That's what they need to get started with. So we are really recruiting and showing it. Now, it's hard work. It is very hard work, and it's mental. It's mental and physical. You're working out in the heat. You're working out in the cold. But we try and recruit these individuals, and then we prepare them to go to work out in, in our industry. How are we doing with uh, organizing in that area? Because you know organizing is, has ticked up considerably in the nation. But I'm wondering about then, middle America. What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the status of that there? Well, it is it is ticked up unbelievably here in Kansas City. There is just so much work. We have to find the bodies to do that. And, of course, you know, apprenticeship is so important, and we're able to train the future. But a lot of our contractors – and a job site can't be built with just apprentices. So we have to organize and go out and find those individuals that aren't getting the benefits that you get in union labor, like the health and welfare and the pension. So we're recruiting, and we have been organizing probably the last two or three years really, really strongly um, – we are now going to outlying areas, you know, in the Kansas City metro area. There's areas outside of that area like Topeka and like Columbia. And, and so we are actually now going out there and organizing because Topeka is a little less than an hour drive into Kansas City. And when the wages are about 10 to $15 lower, we're able to recruit for those folks. Now, we've got to keep these gas prices as low as they can get for folks to understand the value there. But, yeah, we're recruiting and organizing all over the metropolitan area. What about getting those uh, non-union contractors to come to the union side? Is, is that uh, is that going on over there? It, it is. And that's a lot of it is because you can't find the skilled workforce. 
And so we're able to recruit and to get the open shop. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily call them always non-union, nor do we call, you know, an individual that's that working in a um, in an open shop environment. It's just that they haven't really seen the benefits of the organized labor and what we bring to the table. And the it's a management labor effort where we work together with those contractors to show them, you know, the value and to give them the health and welfare. I mean, everyone deserves insurance. And we've actually got programs in the Kansas City area where we will give non-bargaining um, members, which means those contractors can get our health insurance um, while you know they're signatory to us, and it's a huge value for those contractors to come um, and be signatory with the operative plasters and cement masons. You know, one of the uh, roles that you serve while well, your business manager, financial secretary, is to have a decent working relationship with those contractors, and I, I get the sense in this conversation that that seems to be the case. Maybe you can add to that. Well, yeah, to be honest, I worked for the management side. I worked for the AGC, Associated General Contractors, for six years before I ran for this position. And it's got, if we don't have a place to take our members and for our members to work, our members aren't working. It's just like a market. If you don't have a place to sell your produce, your produce is going to go stale or go bad or leave. So we've got to have a good relationship with contractors because they've got to understand the value. And that's where it comes together. Without labor and management working together, unions don't, unions don't thrive. We've got to have that owner. We've got to have that contractor understanding the value and working together. It's a relationship. Yeah, yeah. That would be the time you were uh, working with the Builders Association when you say you were on the management side. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Well, it's good. You know, you, you got that balance in there. You understand both sides, the needs and, and the wants of each side. So that just makes your, your position today all that more important. Elise Martini joining us on our live line today. She is the business manager, financial secretary of the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council. Let me drive you to the website again. It's buildkc.org. Joyce Goldstein will be joining us later in the show. Talk about a case that involves almost four decades of legal work. It's all part of America's Workforce. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, 
public health care, and education workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Chris LaGrange here, host of UCOM Live with Chris LaGrange, news, talk, sports, and workforce politics, the fastest-growing podcast on, in, and around the Internet. Join us live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter with archives on UConnLive.com. Our loud and colorful panelists bring you current events like no other. So follow and subscribe today wherever great podcasts are found. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. Let's go back to Kansas City and rejoin Elise Martini, who's the business manager, financial secretary of the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council started in the Cement Masons in 1980. 40 years, 40-plus years. Let me ask you this, Elise. Uh, You've got to have a lot of stories to share. We don't have enough time on this show (laughs) to talk about those 40-plus years. But the trades have changed. I mean, everything has changed at that time. Nothing, Nothing is constant. What would you say... What would you highlight right here over those uh, over that time period? As what what changed, uh, good, bad, whatever the case. What's your answer to that? Well, it's all good. We are now accepted. I can't say that back in the 1980s, and I know a lot of other women around me that didn't make it through because we weren't accepted, and and it has changed so much. So besides us being accepted and and there being measures on certain projects or. Uh, goals for more minority and females. In Kansas City, we have goals of 10% minority and 2% females. And at the, and an airport project we're building right now, those goals are 20% minority and 3% females. And we're exceeding those goals with over about 25% minority and really about 8% females because there are so many opportunities out there. And then technology's changed. We didn't used to have harnesses, you know, when we fell that were actually fitted for women. We didn't have clothing fitted for us. I had to go to the store to buy men's boots and, you know, and I was wearing a very small size. Things have changed so much. Technology, safety, really looking at what fits, you know, for for a woman's harness and what really works for women. All that has changed so much. So between the environment, the acceptance and safety and technology, it's a lot 
a lot better place for women. And I encourage all women to get in the trades. There's so many opportunities out there. Elise, if you don't mind, I, I saw this story, and I'd like you to give me some details on this because I understand that the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council took the lead on this. And what we have now as a result is an Office of Registered Apprenticeship in Kansas. In Kansas. Can you uh, can you tell me about this? What, what happened here, and, and how does that work? Well, you can't see me smiling from ear to ear. It is huge. Apprenticeship always phoned the Department of Commerce in Kansas, which kind of gave it a second. It was just more of a, something that we really didn't they didn't really look at. And so they hired a new director, Shonda Atwater, and she she has hit the ground running, trying to increase registered apprenticeship all over. And since then, we've gone to the governor. Um, there is a We are a SAC state, which is a state apprenticeship council. And so we went to the governor and said, we need our own department. And thank goodness for Governor Kelly. She created this own department um, working with commerce. We are working along with commerce instead of being underneath commerce. And we have just grown in just the last six months on getting more registered apprentices and then kind of opening it up where as much as we're talking about construction today, there's a lot of other opportunities in nursing, in IT, in culinary. So we're actually opening up for a lot of Kansans to get into a registered apprenticeship and hopefully become, you know, become a value and a, and an industry professional like, you know, like me and Gina. So there was an office before. They just kind of like uh, moved it up a few notches. They moved it from another department to, uh, what is it, the Department of Commerce then? It really, I would say it was it was a department underneath Commerce where there was no budget. Um, it was really at the, at the whim of whatever Commerce wanted to have in the budget to give. Um, uh-huh. So it was... It, so it was. It really was an unparalleled move because now we have actually a budget item in, you know, money in the budget item in in the state to actually pay for it. Um, allows recruitment, just a whole lot. It just made it really whole. So it it's not just moving it up. It's uh, it's the large growth and impact for the state. Give it, giving it some punch. Then that's good. You mentioned uh, what was it? A Shonda? Was it Atwater? Was the correct. Uh, Okay. Would you be so kind after this? You have my uh, you have my text here, my phone. Give me her contact information. We'd love to uh, have her on the show. Does that sound like it uh, can be done? Very easy. I actually, uh, me and her are kind of partners that we we do a lot of recruiting together, and I know she would love to be on the on the program. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. An office of registered apprenticeship that's got some teeth to it. And it's working. That's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Trades Women Build Nations Conference. Again, congratulations. Our guest on the show right now, those of you just tuning in right now, is Elise Martini. And she's the business manager, financial secretary of the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council. And she is the first person to get a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Trades Women Build Nations Conference, was, which was just about a week and a half ago in Las Vegas. Now, did you know this was coming? I mean, that, this is quite an honor. What's this, well, well, give me some background on this. No, I did not know it was coming. Um, my international vice president, I worked with Kevin Sexton, and I, I've been going to Women Build Nations Conference since I got elected in this position in 2012. And it has grown from a California conference of about, well, I think the first one I went to was like 400 people. And it keeps growing and growing. So this, so then 
NAPTU, North American Building Trades Union, took it over, uh, I'm going to say six, seven years ago, and started moving it throughout the country, making it more national or even international. We had Canadian, uh, the, our Canadian sisters there. And so this year we had 3,300 people. I had told my vice president of our international, you need to go. We, uh, there's a lot of leadership there. There's a ton of international presidents. I said, you need to go. So he was there. And... Um, yeah, it was Marty Walsh, our Secretary of Labor, was had just spoken, and then uh, our President Sean McGarvey called me up on stage, and I was like, okay, what did I do? And um, and so when I got up there, yeah, it was a huge, uh, overwhelming, just probably the, probably one of the best things I've ever received. I'm, I'm very blessed that I'm credited for a lot of things, but to receive that in the first ever, and there's so many women out there that are just as deserving, but... Uh, but yeah, it was um, just a memory I will never forget. And great to have my vice president there, although I hear my general president wanted to be there. And, and since it was such a surprise, no one knew. So uh, yeah, big deal. All right, Elise, we're running out of time here. I just have one more question before we go. Um, the fact that you've been in the trades for over 40 years, and we've got a lot of females that listen to the show. And in fact, we're closing in on the top 10% of all podcasts in the country. And there's a lot of podcasts out there. So those of you listening, awfpodcast.com. And if you like a show, share the show. And uh, we encourage you to share this show, especially if you're thinking about going in the trades. Any trade in particular that you would uh, encourage a female to go into today, what, what, what would that be? I would encourage any of the trades. The one thing you have to realize is that they are physical, but there is so many opportunities in any of the trades. So look at the area that you live in. Look at seeing what work's being done. You know, if, if development is just not coming out of the ground, then, of course, your operating engineers, your carpenters, your cement masons. If it's later on in the project, then you're going to need your painters. You're going to need, you know, some of your specialty trades like your HVAC, you know, with your pipe fitter and your plumber and your sheet metal. But all the trades have opportunities. And all the internationals are recruiting women right now. So get involved. Go to your website. Go to NAPTU's website. And see what, you know, what that area, you know, find out that contact in your area and, and just reach out. There's a lot of women organizations out there. Like in Missouri, there's Missouri Women in the Trades. There's Chicago Women in the Trades. There's uh, Can- Heartland Women in the Trades here in Kansas City. We are women that will help you find the right path for you. Because you, we don't know what your skill set is. We don't know, mm-hmm. you know, how high you are in math. Electricians need a lot of math. So we want to help you recruit. Whatever we can do, just contact any of the women's associations or NAPTU, and we will help you get in the trades. There you go. If one doesn't work out, there's plenty more to choose from. Pathway to the middle class, we often say on the show. Good stuff. Elise Martini joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Don't forget to uh, send me Shonda's contact information about that Office of Reprinter, uh, Registered Apprenticeships, and uh, we'll talk down the road, okay? How's that sound? You bet. Thank you so much, and have a great day. All right. Buildkc.org is a website for the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council. Quick break. Joyce Goldstein of Joyce Goldstein and Associates talking labor law and a Supreme Court decision in the state of Ohio. That's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. And keep in mind, all of our shows are archived on awfpodcast.com. And if there's one in particular that you like, hey, share it with your union brother or sister. We appreciate that. More downloads, the better for America's Workforce. Let's go to our live line now. Welcome back to the show. We missed her last month, Joyce Goldstein of Joyce Goldstein and Associates, who's been practicing law, labor law for, my gosh, four decades now. And she specializes in a broad spectrum of labor issues, employee benefit, trusts, progressive organizations. She does a nonprofit, the Southern Poverty Law Center. JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com. And today we're going to talk about something that goes way back years ago, and it involves picketing, what you can and cannot do. Joyce Goldstein, welcome back to America's Workforce. How are we doing today? Great, thank you. Great to be back. So this case, you wrapped your hands around it some years ago. It goes back to the late 90s, and it involves a decision from the Ohio Supreme Court. I'm going to let you pick it up from there because uh, you know this one all too well, and it's very important that people know their rights on a picket line and actually where they choose to picket. So, Joyce, it's all yours. Well, thank you. Thanks. Actually, it's the subject that goes back a long time. Uh, there is a recent decision about the subject of residential picketing, and this is in the state of Ohio, so it's not um, a generally applicable issue because it arises under Ohio's state public employee law, uh, which we know in Ohio is 4117. And the, the issue involves uh, 
the way the statute is written is it makes it an unfair labor practice for a union or any agent of the union to induce or encourage any individual in connection with a labor dispute to engage in residential picketing at the home of a public official or at their private workplace. And that's been in the statute since it was passed in Ohio in, uh, and it became the law in 1984. Well, a few years after that, pretty well, like 1993 ish, um, there was a union that was a client of mine, uh, United Electrical Workers, UE. They were uh, attempting to organize uh, the employees at the Ohio Turnpike Commission, and they were particularly looking to represent the part-time employees. And they filed an election petition with CERB, uh, the State Employment Board, in 1992, September of 1992. And, uh, and then the employer kind of screwed around for a while, said that part-time employees weren't covered under the Act. And so there was a lot of frustration. And then in May of 1993, the union decided to go out and picket at the homes of the uh, at, at that time the executive director of the Ohio Turnpike Commission and it was peaceful picketing they went out with their kids they had signs you know let let the part-timers vote this is America we want to vote that sort of thing and uh, there was no question that it was peaceful no question that they were on public property but uh, the Turnpike Commission filed an unfair labor practice charge against them based on this this language of it being an unfair labor practice to induce or encourage any individual in connection with a labor dispute to engage in residential picketing. So um, after that charge was filed, uh, the union was, you know, not surprisingly found guilty of that violation because yes, they had indeed uh, done that and encouraged their members to go out and picket. Uh, but we defended saying that the statute itself was unconstitutional, that it was a violation of the First Amendment. Well, that case um, took a while uh, as these things go. The case got, it took a while for it finally to be decided by the trial court in uh, Cuyahoga County in Ohio and then by the Court of Appeals. And the Court of Appeals in Ohio, the 8th District, said back in 1998 that uh, ruled in our favor and said that the statute, this restriction about the presidential picketing just in labor disputes, that it was unconstitutional, that it violated the First Amendment. Uh, and the state then attempted to appeal that decision in 1998 to the Ohio Supreme Court. And it took five, another five years um, and the Ohio Supreme Court then denied jurisdiction, say, basically like a denial of cert in a U.S. Supreme Court case, saying that it didn't present uh, a big issue. Uh, it's hard to understand why anybody would think that the First Amendment doesn't present a, a big, important issue, but the Ohio Supreme Court said that was the case. And so what happened is it left the ruling standing, in, uh, but but arguably only in Cuyahoga County. So in one county in the state of Ohio, it was unconstitutional to engage in residential picketing, but somehow in the other 87 counties in the state of Ohio, it, um, it, it still was a violation of law for unions to be involved in residential picketing. So that's been the state of the law up until 
the case that you're now mentioning and that we're also here today to talk about is a very recent decision that came out uh, in September of 2022, finally, by the Ohio Supreme Court adopting what had been the finding of the 8th District Court of Appeals back in 1998. It's now, here it is, you know, decades later, and they're saying, yes, indeed, it is unconstitutional for for the law, um, in this case for the 4117, for the Ohio Collective Bargaining Law, to restrict the right to engage in residential picket. So that's, you know, so this is an issue that has just literally been going on um, in my life as a lawyer, um, <laughs> have been involved in litigating this issue back since, uh, since really the picketing began in May 1993 in the, the UE case. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, it's now the law more generally in the state of Ohio. Um, but it did it did take uh, it, it took literally it was exactly 30 years from when the UE first filed that petition uh, for the turnpike workers, you know, back in September of 1992. Um, so, yeah, it has been it's been a long, a long story. Uh, and you know what what is important here is that of course any you know residential picketing is unpleasant. I think we could all agree that nobody wants picketing outside their front door right. um, and you know that that's undeniable. The question is um is can you have a restriction on picketing? or induce or encouraging picketing that's limited to certain people, in this case, labor organizations and public employees, and regarding a particular topic, and in this case, the topic of a labor dispute. And uh, municipalities, states can limit, can have neutral restrictions on residential picketing if it's based on you know, you can't picket on the middle of the night or a certain place, mm-hmm. or, you know, you could have neutral restrictions, but not ones that are content-based or speaker-based. And uh, and that's really what the problem here was, is that this is so targeted, this restriction is really targeted against unions and public employees only talking about labor disputes. So because it was targeted, that's exactly why the ruling came out the way it came out then? Is that right? Right. So if the if you if, it, if as I say, if a municipality like many have noise restrictions, things like that, you can't do things in the middle of the night. You can't, you know, that that is lawful because it would apply to anyone at all um, who wanted to picket at two o'clock in the morning. But yeah. here, it has nothing to do with a reasonable time or place restriction, this is, you can't do it at all if you happen to be a public employee or you happen to be a union and you happen to be talking about a labor dispute. And when when my case first started with the UE, it was at a time, again, if you recall, it, there were there was a, a lot going on in the world of residential picketing. There was the summer of Operation Rescue where um, there was picketing at, in front of the homes of abortion providers by people who were anti-choice. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and there was picketing over the course of this litigation when John Demianyuk uh, came back to Ohio after he was released initially from an Israeli prison uh, and people were supporting him. And if you recall, uh, former Congressman Jim Traficant was involved in that. And there was picketing, um, again, for and against uh, in in the city of Seven Hills, where Demianyuk lived, and in those cases, as they were coming up to the through the court system, the courts, including the Ohio Supreme Court, said that you, there cannot be restrictions on picketing based on the content of the speech or the speaker, and. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have limitations so that you don't have mayhem in the streets in the middle of the night as I come back to or, um, you know, but here where it's peaceful picketing and on public property that, you you know, you can't have those kinds of content based restrictions. Well, Joyce, all I can say, you've heard the line justice delayed is justice denied. It's hard to believe that this case. (laughs) <laughs> took so long. I mean, the laws passed in 1984. Litigation began in the early 90s. And finally, September of 2022, we get some resolve from the Supreme Court of Ohio. I got to hand it to you for, for sticking through this whole thing. Um, did you ever think it was going to take this long, though, Joyce? I mean, you did get victories early on, but it still wasn't finished yet. Uh, what's the takeaway on this whole thing? Well, I think, as we've talked about many times on this show, the law doesn't function quickly most of the time. And uh, certainly in in this instance, it hasn't. The law has been in effect since 1984. And if you pick out the law books and you read it, it still shows that it's an unfair labor practice to engage in residential picketing. Uh, And I'm thrilled, of course, that we won our case back in 1998, but it was arguably limited to the area around Cleveland, Ohio, and we now have at least a more general statement in Ohio that would apply to the other 87 counties in the state that public employees and their unions do have the right to engage in residential picketing. So, um, you know, I'm thrilled that it finally happened, and we need to celebrate our victories when we get them, and this is definitely one of those. Well, congratulations once again. Joyce Goldstein of Joyce Goldstein and Associates. For more information, go to JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com. And that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Communication Workers of America. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.